God's speaking to us through our series. We're looking at a series um, right the way through the, the, the New Testament, really. We're looking at the church. We've been thinking about the church as the body of Christ. We've been thinking about the church as salt of the earth, as the bride of Christ, the aroma of God. And last week, as the branches of the vine. Now, this week, we're looking at the temple of God, part two. Part two, a few, uh, maybe ooh, around six weeks ago, Steph spoke about the temple of God um, and today I'm speaking about the temple of God again. A few weeks ago we spoke about the temple of God being something which that, that picture impacts us individually in the way that we walk individually. Um, no, we spoke about how it impacts on us corporately. Today the, the passage is much more about how it impacts on us individually. Us being the temple of God. Uh, us individually being the temple of the spirit of God. That's what we're going to speak about this morning. And we're going to be speaking from <clears throat> 1 Corinthians. We're going to be reading from the first letter to the Corinthians, and chapter 6. And we're going to be reading from verse 12. So do fo- feel free to find that in your, in your Bible. And we'll come to that in a bit. I'll, I'll read that in a bit. We'll read that together. First, just a little bit about Corinth. A bit about Corinth and a bit about what's going on in this letter. So Paul... Um, visits this city, Corinth, a city in Greece, modern-day Greece. It's a big city. It's a trade city. It's a port city. Lots of money, lots of temple, a big temple there, worship going on in, in all sorts of different forms, whether that's money and trade or whether that is within that temple and the way that worship goes on there. And we'll unpack a little bit of that this morning. Some of that is to do with Sex and the way people are using their bodies in that, in that city. It's also a, a city which is saturated in sort of um, wisdom. There's lots of ideas, philosophy, lots of ideas circulating around that city. Sound familiar? Sounds a bit like London, right? Sounds a bit like the cities we live in today. Very much would have been. Apart from there was no you know, cars and stuff. All that, you know. Uh, Paul goes there and he plants a church there. What does that mean? Paul makes disciples. Paul goes and preaches the good news. People come to know Jesus and a church is, is, is born there. And, and he's there for a year and a half and then he leaves. And then he starts getting reports from the church. He gets reports from other people who are visiting it, people he knows. And the reports are not great. There's some stuff going on which is just a bit messy. It's not, not quite in line with the gospel. Not quite in line with... God's words. People have got themselves in a bit of a mess. In large parts, that mess comes from a sort of clash of ideologies and a warping of some things and some ideas. So you've got this Greek city full of Greek philosophy, and then you've got a warping of like Jewish and Christian ethics. And you've got these two things in a clash and then a sort of warping as we tend to do with things. We tend to warp them a bit and that's where lots of their mess comes from. So you get people in the city, people in the church using phrases like, this is, this is Paul quotes them and he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You find that in chapter 15. That's a really sort of Greek philosophy. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The body doesn't matter. Let's eat and drink tomorrow we die. And you've also got this sort of 
legalistic ethical bent and he quotes them again in chapter 7 he said it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman so you've got these two really opposing ideologies clashing and just a warping of what's going on there a bit like where we live today a place shaped by the wisdom of the world constantly we are bombarded by the wisdom of the world Constantly we are bombarded by philosophy, by ideas, and a warping of Christian ethics. Paul speaks into this situation. Here's something he says. He says, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom from God. You want wisdom? Find it in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says. He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. You want wisdom. You want power. You find those things in Christ Jesus. Paul's message to them is that the good news of Jesus Christ cuts through it all. The good news of Jesus Christ cuts through it all, stands for all time. The good news of Jesus Christ is good news to all of you. To the whole of you. It is good news to those who are being saved. So Paul's word to them is that you're not meant to live in this sort of maximising pleasure idea and you're not meant to live in this sort of keeping the laws idea, but you're meant to live for Christ. And Paul addresses multiple issues through this lens. So through the letter, he addresses multiple different, different issues, divisions in the church and people bringing lawsuits against one another and he always brings it back to this. Live in Christ. In chapters 5 to 7, we're not going to read it all, Paul comes to a particular problem within the church in Corinth. He comes to sex. That's what we're going to be speaking about this morning, and we're going to be thinking about how us being the temple of God impacts on what we do around this issue. Now, I'm aware very aware, you might be new here. This might be the first time you have walked into a church ever. And I've just got up and said, we're going to talk this morning about sex. I am aware that is kind of uncomfortable. You might be thinking, really? The first time I turn up and you're going to talk about sex. Or you might be thinking, yeah, I I kind of thought that is what Christians talk about all the time. Right? That's just what. Don't, don't have sex. That's what. That's it, right? That's, that's the, whole, the whole deal. You might, um, you might think that you know exactly what I'm going to say, and, and some of it you will know. This kind, of, this kind of warping of Christian ethics, some people have that really clearly ingrained exactly what I'm going to say. Sex is bad, right? That's, that's going to be the line, that's the party line right there you might have that idea it's not all right just to lay that out there we're going to come to that um you might be offended by the idea of a 2000 year old letter because that's what this is this is what we're going to read from it's a letter written thousands of years ago to a church in greece 2000 years ago you might find that offensive that our idea that this letter would have something to say into modern day london 
You might find that kind of uncomfortable. Why, why would I want to listen to this? You might find it a, a kind of offensive, challenging, because your view on sex might already be decided. You know what you think about sex. You, you, that view of sex might be formed by the cultural norms of today. In our liberal society, we've got, we're, we're the sort of vault. We've got, the, we've got it, right? We've got it sorted out. We've, we're woke, right, would be the kind of idea that we've got it. We know what it's all about. It might be best defined as my body, my choice. It might be best defined as I want freedom. What I, what I want is complete choice in all regards, but I want complete choice in sex, in what I do with my body around sex. You might define it as that, freedom. The ability to do with what you want. And you might think there's a real clash here coming between what you're going to say, Tom, and what I believe. I want to, I want to challenge you this morning. Um, I want to urge you this morning to have a think about which you should decide on first. If there is a king of all creation, do I decide on my view about sex and hold that as sacred first? Or do I decide on my view about God and hold that as sacred first? Which should come first? I'm going to say I think this needs to come first. If there's one who made it all, if there's one who designed it all, Surely what he says about it must have a bearing on what we do about it. So I urge you this morning, if you are new here and you're thinking, I just, just please hold on to that. Decide what you think about Jesus before you decide what you think about anything else. Because if sex is the number one, or you can't change anything around that, that is ultimate. Then that is your God. That's the thing in charge. Everything else revolves around. You can't change that. That is my number one. And I urge you this morning to consider Jesus this morning. And hopefully we'll see him this morning as we look at this passage. I loved Tom read from James this morning. Because if there's one thing that I'd urge you to see about sex, it's that it is a good gift. He read this, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. Sex is that. We are going to see this morning that God's view of sex is far higher than we could fathom. Far higher than any other philosophy places it. It's an issue of identity. I loved the um, song that uh, Joe brought this morning, that line, Oh, how deeply changing is the love of Jesus. That's what we're going to see this morning. Oh, how deeply changing to our philosophy, to our thoughts, to our way of thinking is the love of Jesus. Okay. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read this passage. Father, we thank you that we can come to you this morning. Lord, we thank you that in you there is no shadow in your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that there is no bit of life which you don't 
have a handle on which you don't understand, which you don't have the best for us in, Lord. We ask we'd see your best this morning, Lord. We ask you'd speak to us this morning, Lord. Would you speak through your word this morning? Would you change us, Lord, to be more like you? Amen. Okay, I'm going to read this passage to you then. Chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. If you've got a Bible, do, do read along. Otherwise, it is going to come up on the screen behind. All things are lawful for me. You'll see in your, in your uh, Bible and up there, it's got quotation marks around that. That's Paul quoting. We're going to talk about who he's quoting in a bit. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This morning, we're going to take this sort of line by line, bit by bit. I'm going to help, hopefully help you understand what it is Paul is saying to the Corinthians. How, what, what is he saying to them in their situation and what that therefore means for us? So let's start at the beginning. This very first phrase, all things are lawful for me. It's, a, it's in quotation marks. The reason it's in quotation marks is because Paul is quoting back to them the kind of things they say. This same sort of idea as eat, drink for tomorrow we die, all things are lawful for me. It's a really interesting uh, interesting idea because, and Paul gets it, he doesn't straight out go, no, 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 no. Because he says in other places in Christ we are free. We're all free in Christ. We're no longer under the law. So does that translate to this? All things are allowed. All things are fine. You can do anything you like. Paul doesn't answer it in quite the way we'd expect. Paul answers it by kind of getting a bit logical with them. He says, okay, you want the best in life. You want enjoyment. Your your thinking around that is therefore all things are lawful for me. Paul goes, but not all things are helpful. It'd be mad to just like, just every, I can do anything. Just it's not, not everything is good for you. I want you to imagine you're part of a let's say you're part of Team Ineos. They're a cycling team. You're part of a cycling team. You're trying to win the Tour de France. That's going on at the moment. Any cycling fans out there? All right, they've got, they've got the wrong crowds. You've got the wrong crowd, Tom. Okay. Cycling is like super, super competitive and like, <laughs> all right, you're part of a sports team. Pick your sport. 
The reason I pick cycling is because it's really like you've got to be at the very top of your game. They train crazily intensely. It is proper hardcore. So let's say you're part of a Tour de France team and you're aiming to win the Tour de France, okay? And you're part of this team and you've got this teammate who you're there on tour, right? You're cycling every day and you get back to the hotel and he's like, am I allowed to have a drink? Like, am I allowed to drink alcohol when we're, when we're out trying to win the Tour de France? Am I allowed to, like, am I allowed to smoke? Like, am I allowed to? I know tomorrow we've got, like, a team, like, rest day and we're, like, training and stuff, but am I allowed to just go and do some sightseeing in town? Am I allowed to? Joker! Joker! Um, you're winning, you're running a race. You're not running, you're cycling in a race. <laughs> or whatever sport you like. Unbelievable. It's just a ridiculous way of looking at it. Paul, in, in other parts of the Bible, says it compares life to a race. Not everything's helpful. Not everything's helpful. Paul answers it again. He quotes them again. He says, all things are lawful for me. Paul again comes, just, just comes with an idea, back at them with an idea. You want freedom, but what you're suggesting isn't freedom. What, what you're suggesting is being dictated to by the pattern of the world, being dictated to by the philosophy of the world, being dictated to by your own desires. That's what you're talking about when you say all things are lawful to me. That's what you're talking about when you say in the next phrase, food is meant for the body and body for the food. I, I just, if I want it, I want it. If I want it, I get it. You're talking about being dictated to. You're not actually talking about. That's not what freedom looks like. So he says, I will not be dominated by anything. There's loads of things you can't just dabble in. Loads of things you can't just dabble in. Chloe and I are watching a series at the moment, a TV series. And um, I'm sure you've all had this experience. You can't just watch one, right? The TV's changed. When I was was a kid, you you could only watch one because you had to wait a week for the next one. Now... You put on Netflix and you put on one and then Netflix is like, you finish and everyone goes, the next one's going to start in three, two, one. Okay, I'm there. I'm there. All right, next one. <sighs> you get to the end of that one. Three, two, one. There we go. We're into the next one. You just, it just consumes you. That's a small example, right? That's like, there's nothing really wrong with Netflix. There's something wrong if it's three in the morning, you haven't gone to bed and you've got to work the next morning. I haven't done that. That's not happened. It's not happening. Um, But there are other things in life that you can't just dabble in. They will consume you. Freedom. What does freedom look like then? I've got, I've got, um, I've got three children. We've got a little baby. We've got two sons. Okay, and my sons, particularly my eldest, is kind of reaching the age where he gets a bit bored sometimes, and he goes, "What can I do? What can I do?" And we're like, "Well, you can do anything. There's like, you can do anything. You can do anything you like. Like, there's loads of stuff. Just." You've got, you've got toys and you've got, you, could, like, you can't go on the computer right now, but you've got stuff. Because when I say you can do anything, I don't mean you can do anything. I, I don't mean that. I don't mean go and open the cleaning cupboard, get the bleach out and just like go mad. I don't mean go and get the power tools out. I don't, I don't mean go out on the street and just like go for it, just run free. I don't mean that. Because I'm his father. And I've laid out for him here's all the stuff that's good for you. I've laid out for him all the stuff that's not going to damage him 
not going to consume him. I've said, this is the good stuff. And so when I say you can do anything, he knows. Dad's laid out what all, all the good... Usually he knows you know, he's going to make some choices along the way. That's what freedom looks like. A good place. Lines laid out for us. Let's go to this next mantra then. First one, the Corinthians are saying, all things are lawful for me. The next one they say is food is meant for the body and the body for food. This is one of the things they say and it's really in line with this Greek worldview. Here's their worldview, their idea, their philosophy is there's two parts of you. There's the spiritual part, that bit's the good bit, that bit's the godly bit, that bit's the bit that is going to transcend this world and is going to reach some sort of other plane. And then you've got the body bit, and the body bit is the squishy bit, it's the messy bit, it's the bad bit, it's that's the good bit, bad bit. That's their idea. And there's two ways that you can take this. There's two ways that you can fall off the horse on this one. You can go left or you can go right. You can fall, if, if, you, if you've got this idea, you can go, right, okay, body doesn't matter. Therefore, I can do what I like with my body. doesn't matter. Because the spiritual bit's the bit that matters. The body doesn't matter. I can do what I like with it. I'm, I'm hungry. I can eat. I want to eat a whole packet of Oreos. I can eat a whole packet of Oreos. I, 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 I want to not sleep. I, I can do what I like. It doesn't matter. I want to have sex. I can have sex. That's the, that's the philosophy. That's the idea. Or the other way you can fall off is... Body's bad, therefore all the stuff to do with the body is bad. Therefore, don't have sex. It is not good. Interestingly, the Corinthians, they managed to fall into both camps. We've got him quoting them here saying, uh, what is it? Food is meant for the body and the body for food when he's talking about sex the same, they've got that same idea. Sex is meant for the body and the body for sex. And then chapter 7, right after this, he quotes back to them and says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman. They're like, here and here. We're a bit like that today in society. You've got like Friday night, Friday night, dude just got Friday night. It's Friday night. And you've got CrossFit. It's like intensely crazy, like beating your body into shape. And, and it's not like some people do CrossFit and some people do Friday night. You've got people who do both those things. And it's like, uh, uh, make your mind up. Like, what is the, what is the body about? <clears throat> Paul's, Paul's first response to this. Because he wants them to, before he starts talking about sex, he wants them to get him clear about the body. He says, God will destroy both one and the other. I think he's talking about um, appetite and pleasures of the world. He's talking about desires and the way to. All of these things are in God's domain. They are not outside of God's domain. He is in charge of them. Let's crack on with this. The idea of the body. Let's go to verses 13 to 14. It says, um, it says this. He's carrying on on this idea. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. 
and the Lord for the body. This, this, what he's saying here, if you read it with a Greek mindset, it's wild. I thought that spirit good, body bad. I thought this was the bit that God's interested in and this bit is, I don't know, just sort of messy. Here, Paul says, God is concerned with the body. He cares about what you do with it. He actually says the body is meant for the Lord. It's important. What you do with your body is important. What you do with your body is fundamental. What you do with your body expresses what you believe about God. He says, all things, he says the body is for the Lord. All things were made for Jesus, including your body. He says in the Lord for the body. I've been puzzling over this one. The Lord for the body. I think what he's getting at is that there's this connection between God and us. And when he's talking about us, he's not just talking about spirit. He's talking about body and spirit. So the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. There's this togetherness. There's this connection. On the cross, Jesus became for us, given for us, sacrificed for us, broken for us, cursed for us, crushed for us, died for us. And when he talks about us, it's not just spirit. It's all of us, spirit and body. He goes on to say, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up with his power. If he hadn't made it clear enough, the body is important. He says this, Jesus had a body. Jesus has a body. He was born. He was actually physically born. I have been at three births. They are not super spiritual events. They are super physical events. They are messy. They are body that's enough. I won't go any further because I've wiped them from my memory and I've got, got any more to say. Jesus was born into a body. He inhabited a human body. If God wanted to say body matters anymore, how could he? God was born into a body. I tell you how he could say it even more. That body, Jesus went to the cross and died and then that body was resurrected. That's how he could say it even more. God is in human form. Body matters. How could he say it even more? He could raise our bodies. The, this is what, the body matters. What you do with it matters. It is integrally connected to God. You, if you believe in Christ, are connected to God. Your body matters because God says, look, I am in bodily form and will eternally be in bodily form. And you too. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up with him. If your view was body doesn't matter, treat it how you like. This is mind-blowing. If your view was body stuff bad, spirit good, this is mind-blowing. Your body matters. It matters to God. If you are in Christ, all of you is in Christ. All of it matters.
it's quite challenging. And I think for some people, that idea that your body matters and your body is resurrected is quite challenging. And I'm not going to cover all that that might challenge around issues of your body and body image and who you... There's too much there for me to, to cover. I just urge you, if there's something that just sits there, talk to somebody, share it with somebody, pray about that. But hear it, your body matters, God cares about it. Okay, I said we're going to talk about sex and we've kind of gone around this. This is how Paul goes. He wants to get the fundamentals, he wants to get the foundation right. Your body matters. He wants to get that right. Now he comes in, ups it a bit and hits them with a zinger. Let's go to verses 15 to 17. It says, do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? Your body, getting again at this idea of this union of us with Jesus. He uses this phrase, members of Christ, when he's talking about the body of Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. Our bodies are part of the body of Christ. This is, it's a mystery. In Ephesians 2, and actually in Galatians as well, he uses this phrase, phrase, we are made alive together with Christ. It's his life that we now live in. It's him that we now live in. Us, our bodies, are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and join them to a prostitute? Whew. He's not mincing his words, is he? This idea here, this, um, this is to do with in to do with actual temple worship in Corinth. In the temple there in Corinth, there would have been prostitute priestesses that would have been part of the... So, how can you use the word worship for that? But that was part of what they did there in Corinth. I want to hold on to that idea so we can come back to the temple of God. How shall I then take the members of Christ and join them to a prostitute? Wow. Never. Or do you not know that the one who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. There's loads in that. I want, I want us to look at it all together though. Because this, this never, he unpacks. Why never? Why is this so important? He unpacks it through three different ideas. He talks about <clears throat> sex with a prostitute or sex outside marriage. He talks about sex. He talks about sexual immorality there. Sex outside marriage. He talks about marriage. And then he talks about our union with Christ. Because all three of those things are connected. He says, one who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. You can kind of read that and think that both joined to a prostitute and one body with her are both sort of euphemisms for sex. But then he'd be saying, do you not know that one who has sex with a prostitute has sex with a prostitute? It cannot be what he's saying. That would, wouldn't make any sense. When he talks about one body there, it's not a euphemism. It's not, he's not talking about that. He's saying, don't you know, when you have sex with a prostitute... You're doing something which involves a deeper union. Sex is not just sex. 
He says, when you have sex with a prostitute, you're doing something which is designed to join people in a God-ordained way. You're doing something which is about union, which is about vulnerability, which is about intimacy. You're doing something which is about intimacy, and yet you're not, that is not the person who you have declared ultimate vulnerability and intimacy with. Because then he goes on to marriage. When he says, um, the two will become one flesh, he's referencing Genesis 2, where it says, and a man shall leave his uh, mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about this union of man and wife where two become one, where you, you no longer belong just to yourself. I, I, I belong to Chloe, and Chloe belongs to me. That's how it works. He, he says in chapter 7, he says, he says to husbands, husband, you, your body belongs to your wife. And he says to wives, your wife belongs to your husband. You're no longer your, just your own. You are together. There's a God-ordained way that you are united, that you are together. You see, here's one way that God says sex is incredible. He says, sex is a microcosm of marriage. It's a picture of it. It's a reaffirming of it. When you have sex, you become one body. You mirror the oneness of marriage. You mirror the intimacy of marriage and the vulnerability of marriage. And yet, you're not being vulnerable with that person. You're not being intimate with that person. You are destroying that image. And then he goes on to talk about the union of Christ and us. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You see, Paul is very clear about what marriage is. Marriage is a mirror of the joining of the church and Christ. Marriage is a picture of the church and Christ. In Ephesians, when Paul talks about marriage, and he quotes that bit from um, Genesis 2 again, when he says, the two shall become one flesh, he goes on to say, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. You see, this sex is about that Marriage. This marriage is about that, Christ and the church. Sex is a foretaste, is a, a pointing towards, is an image of ultimate union with Christ. You see, God says, sex is so good. So good. I have ordained it to be a picture of the ultimate union of Christ and the bride. So when he goes on to verse 18, and he says, flee from sexual immorality. It's not just a, it's not just a command. You could, you could follow that just as a command. You could, you could go flee sexual immorality. Okay, right, flee sexual immorality. I won't, you know, or anything that's sort of gratification outside of marriage because that's how Jesus defines it. Jesus really ups the game in terms of 
what this means. He, he says, when you look at somebody lustfully, you committed adultery. So if, we, if we're reading this in the picture of the Bible, we're saying flee sexuality means all gratification outside of this union, this, this beautiful thing which is sexual union, all of that, I've got, and you could follow it like that. You could go, okay, I'm going to follow it as a law. I must, I must do it, I must do it, I must do it, I must do it, I must do it. But you know what? We've gone back to falling off the horse. It doesn't say follow it because of that. It says follow it because your body's important. It says keep this command because you are joined. You are united with Christ. He in you and you in him. Your body for the Lord and the Lord for you. One in spirit. Sex is a reflection of the beauty of that union. Don't mess around with it. Don't mess around with it. He's not saying just follow this command. He's saying get it. Get this. I want you to know why it's important. He goes on. Verse 18 to 19. Every other sin a person commits outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? This is how intimate God has become with us. If we believe in Jesus, we believe in his death and resurrection, and we've said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. We've handed him the keys of our life over and said, you're in charge. What I want in terms of freedom is the freedom to know I am safe in the confines of what you have laid out as good for me. If that's what we've said, God sends his spirit to live in us. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you hadn't got that body was important up to this point, you go, whoa, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When, when um, Paul talks about temple here, the Corinthians are going to have two really clear ideas of temple. They've got this idea that I've laid out a little bit of the temple in Corinth, of a, a place of uh, licentiousness, a place of um, people given over to their desires. And they're going to have the idea of the temple in Jerusalem. The, the temple... a kind of exclusive place where actually as Gentiles they couldn't even go near it you know there would have been a point before the temple down the hill where they couldn't go any further that's as far as you come they've got these two ideas this license over here do what and this idea of law over here Paul says this is something new this is something new this is something else the temple of the Holy Spirit is you. Neither given over to harmful desires nor caught up with fulfilling laws. The temple. To live as the temple of God is to have all of you given over to Christ. All of him is given over to you. It's a new way of living. With the spirit in us, our desires are reshaped. It says in the Bible, our hearts of stone are replaced with a heart of flesh. It says the law is written now on our hearts. Our desires are rewritten. Freedom looks like this. No longer slaves to sin. No longer dominated. No longer I must do this. Slaves to righteousness. 
when it talks about that, it says when you're slaves to sin, there's no fruit from that. There's nothing good that comes from that. But slaves to righteousness, the fruit is eternal life. let's come to this little final bit of good news final bit of good news because this is challenging right it's a challenge I hope you're getting this idea that what Paul's talking about here is freedom it's actually all that is good about freedom I am safe and I am secure when I follow, when I sit here within the boundaries laid out by the creator. He comes to this final, final, final bit. It says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You see, when the Corinthians go to church that morning, they walk through a city. They walk past all sorts. They walk past these temples. They walk past... They also walk past slave markets. They walk past slave markets. They've got a really, in fact, some of them may well be slaves. They've got this really clear idea of what that means. And they will know of good masters and bad masters and everything in between. And they will know that. When you, the slaves are there waiting at a slave market, they're thinking, what is coming for me? What is coming for me? You see, if you're here and you, maybe your first time, maybe you've not heard loads of this before, you're thinking, oh, he said, to think about what, who Jesus is before I think about what I think about anything, really. Decide what I believe about God before I decide what I believe about sex if you want to know who Jesus is he is the one who came in bodily form who was born onto earth who lived a perfect life who lived here on earth who in his death on the cross bought for us a union paid for us you are not your own you were bought at a price you see a price was paid for you a price was paid. So when you waited thinking, what master am I getting? And he turns up. You meet one who paid the price so that you may know true freedom. So you may come into a relationship of life in God where you're no longer slaves to desire, slaves to the patterns of the world, but you are slaves to righteousness. And you can say, he is my Lord, he is my saviour, the one who bought me at a price. Final verse says, so glorify God with your body. You see, it's almost not enough to flee sexual immorality. That suggests us just like running, like I've got to get out of here. There's something in that. You know, you read about Joseph and some of you will know that story of him fleeing Potiphar's wife. Flee, and people use that. and it's, it's perfectly appropriate. But actually, Paul's saying there's more to it though, isn't there? Because if you get this, if you get this, I am bought at a price. I, I am now with the one who is 
good. Good, good, good. Through and through, good. Actually, I'm not just going to flee. I'm going to glorify God. You know, as, as Revelation Church, we're, we're called to make disciples. We're called to, we're called to tell people about Jesus. We're, we're called to reflect him. What we do with our bodies, what we do around sex, is in itself a message, a story, a picture of what God has done in us. I don't want to be saying to people, no, I don't have sex because it's like a lot. I think it's like a, like a, I don't have sex because actually my life is given to glorifying God. My body is given to glorifying God. That is what I'm about. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us. And then Rich, I'm home Rich, going to help us respond. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you, Jesus, that you came, Lord. We thank you that you died in our place. We thank you that when we look at our lives, we know we are in a good place. We are led by the shepherd who leads us beside quiet waters. We're with the one who restores our souls. Lord, we thank you that we can know freedom in you. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, Lord, we ask, would you, would you help us this morning, Lord? Would you help us this morning to glorify you? Amen.